and welcome to the Sports Nutritionist Podcast. In this episode, I have my good friend and colleague here, Danny Lennon, one of the association board members. This is a great chat about the origins of Sigma Nutrition, the brand, how it all started, what his academic and professional history up until this point has been like, and then a little concept of how we deal with things like future planning and also dealing with the ever ongoing aspects of imposter syndrome and whether or not we are good enough in the profession. I hope you enjoy this episode and we're going to kick it off now. All right. So, Danny Lennon, how do you want me to refer to you? Hello, sir. Master Danny? (laughs) You can refer to me whatever way you want, man. (laughs) So, Danny, talk us through your illustrious career to date, please. And oh, I don't. Can you let's start at the beginning? Take us through how you got started in the nutrition science, fitness, textbook writing, contributing author space, uh, amazing international radio host sensation that you are now. Where did it all start? Well, first of all, people will very quickly see a lot of that was hyperbole that you just used. Uh, I'm <laughs> certainly not illustrious or, or anything like it. Um, but to, to start, yeah, I think... Uh, so when I went to university first, I studied science education, uh, which is a, a course to become essentially a science teacher here in Ireland. So I did biology and physics as my two main subjects. And alongside that, you do a teaching diploma, um, on graduating with that, I became a secondary school or high school teacher of science and maths, which I did for a year. Um, But I suppose during my time studying in college, I really, out of my own interest, used to look at research related to sports performance and nutrition, just because I was playing quite a lot of sports at the time, played quite a lot of soccer growing up, then more focused on uh, Gaelic football, which is a sport here in Ireland. In my later teen years, um, I'd say your Australian audience will, of course, be familiar with uh, the Aussie Rules uh, series. And Mm -hmm. then going into college, started doing a bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, dabbled in a bit of MMA, but mainly jiu-jitsu was my thing, um, and was lifting weights to get better at those sports. But at the time when I started studying science in university, that was the first time I came across, oh, there's these things called research papers that are in these specific journals where there's all these studies done and learning how to actually read and interpret them. And so then as this kind of hobby on the side, I started looking, oh, maybe there's these research papers about things I'm interested in, uh, like sport performance and how to get better. And so long story short, ended up stumbling across papers that were more specifically on nutrition and started trying to implement some of that knowledge of what I was learning, found it really interesting to learn about, but also found that it had quite a profound impact on what I was doing with my own nutrition. And so as I, I went through that degree, got more and more interested in that stuff, qualified, did my, my teaching. And like I said, I was a teacher for a year, but during that time realized that I don't really think this is for me. I like the teaching aspect of it, but I don't like the other things around having to discipline kids or to be uh, this stern person that needs to get people to listen to them or just the the admin and um, logistics of being a teacher in a school. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't really enjoying that. So decided at that point to quit teaching at the end of that, that school year went back and did a master's degree in nutritional sciences because I said, I'm really interested in this stuff and I'll do this and see what happens without really much of a plan. And after doing my master's degree, still wasn't entirely sure what was going to happen. Started thinking, well, maybe doing some nutrition consultancy would now be a good idea. Um, Didn't really know what, where else to go because I didn't really want to go into like a food industry role and said, well, if I'm going to have a consultancy. I need to have some way of people finding me or putting out some degree of content. And that's when I started writing some articles, uh, was going to do some like YouTube videos. Then I said, I'll do this podcasting. And at that time that was very, uh, it wasn't, podcasting wasn't as big a thing. So this was early 2014 was when I launched my podcast. And so at that time there was not that many 
big nutrition podcasts, I would say. There were certainly no real evidence-based nutrition podcasts that I was aware of. And so, yeah, got lucky with that timing, started doing that. And pretty soon afterwards, started finding that of all those different types of media, podcasting one was I was enjoying doing. It seemed to be the one that I had a natural uh, inclination towards and also was the one that started to take off after a few months more so than everything else and just said, okay, I'm going to focus on this and not try and spread myself too thin by trying to pump out videos and regular articles and so on. And um, yeah, the rest then was just luck, I guess, that from there, um, podcast took off really well. And everything that's came since that has probably been off the back of that, being able to do like the seminars that I've done, be able to put out the the kind of the, the weight cutting guide, being able to um, get access to other people's platforms and, and our whole coaching services. Every, everything has been probably based off the fact that the podcast became successful and it was. And um, yeah, that's the kind of... Uh, not a short answer, but as as short as I'll make it for the moment. But I'm happy to go into any of those aspects a bit more deeply if you want. Yeah, cool. We will for sure. I first one I want to touch on is you tried teaching, didn't like it. Um, you said you didn't like you didn't want to be in it um, because you didn't like disciplining or having to be the disciplinarian. But I suspect I have a suspicion that it's actually the opposite. And you stopped because you couldn't discipline with the cane and you were really looking forward to that. And the fact that that <laughs> wasn't there was a real disappointment for you, right? Yeah. I, I never got the memo, I guess, that that had been outlawed <laughs> many years previous. So yeah. you, uh, you were like, oh, yeah, I, all those years of study and I don't even get to do this. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the, the problem was that I, I obviously am not good at disciplining if I needed a cane. Like, I think that's a sign that you're not good <laughs> at getting people's attention. No, uh, it was like you need to use physical violence. The stick was your carrot. That's the thing. Like the stick was your carrot. In, there we in, go. In finishing but, it. Yeah. It wasn't to be. So, so um, so, okay. Like moving away from, from the uh, sadistic daddy into um, you've qualified as, as you've you've completed your master's in nutrition, you're a nutritionist. What were the job prospects like? You sort of touched on that initially. Mm. So yeah, at that time, I remember looking around and thinking, okay, um, with the degree I'd done, you, you would see either a number of those graduates from a nutrition science degree at that time, at least, would either go towards food industry jobs. So there was big companies that were based here, for example, um, Glanbia or the Kerry yeah, Group, they'd be two big players in, in the food industry and they do have quite a lot of jobs. So like uh, an R&D job there would be one that you could fit in with, with a nutritional science degree. So you'd have a certain number of graduates go towards that. You'd have a lot of others then that were you would then maybe decide now I actually want to get into dietetics. So they would go and maybe do a, a master's then in dietetics to work in a clinical setting. Mm. And on reflection, neither of those were directions I wanted to go. And so I felt like I wanted to get into nutrition consultancy or nutrition coaching. And there was obviously some places that you could maybe apply to, but they were more so just private businesses that you would hope were taking on someone. Um, but really I just decided, okay, there's, there's very little around going that way, especially if you've no experience, I need to start actually coaching some people here and build things up slowly and decided to go myself with that. And so during my time in college, I'd been doing some coaching, um, just taking on people I knew or friends of friends and just building up some experience that way then started taking on some kind of paying clients. And then after um, finishing the degree and doing that for a number of months, I actually applied to a business accelerator program that's based in Cork city in Ireland. And that is a, a business accelerator where they take on 10 companies a year. And with that, you get a small amount of um, uh, capital up front to help build the business that you can put into what you want. And then you get like weekly workshops around 
building a business essentially with the idea of kind of scaling it. It's like a nine month program. You get free office space for those nine months. So I had a lot cool. of really great things that were useful to was me. Was this a, um, a government-based program or like a private enterprise funded thing or? So it has um, links with the university that's based in Cork, but it would also yeah, be cool. tied in with some of the enterprise boards as well. That's awesome. Um, and so there's, uh, you, you get a kind of, there, there's help from various different bodies there. That's quite useful. And so to, to get into a program like that, it obviously wasn't going to be now a consultancy business. So I had to start thinking, well, what would be something that is more uh, attractive and more scalable and, and that would fit more into an initiative like this. And so I kind of pitched at the time, I can't even remember the specifics of it. It was basically an online format of putting out nutrition science information, maybe like small videos and so on, but like an, an online library of sorts of that mm. was this initial idea that I, had, I had pitched them, but without real too much idea of, of what I was doing or where I was going. Like I didn't have a big master plan, um, but it worked out being good enough that they selected me to go into that program. And so that was from the the second half of 2013, I think in, into the following year. And, uh, the, the early 2014 was when Sigma nutrition was launched and the, the podcast started and all that type of stuff. So, um, and then from that point, everything else just rolled along of, of not really knowing exactly where I was going or what was going to happen or what I should be doing, but just knowing that what is the next step from here? Like just the immediate thing right in front of my face and just keep doing that. Um, and yeah, just things happened. So it, it certainly wasn't a big master plan and the, uh, the, the, I suppose the decision to build the business that is there now was just initially to build a business and to try and get that first functional enough that I could live off. Mm. Um, and then from there, it just kept transforming every probably six months since has been a different view of what the company actually is and what we're actually doing or what we're planning to do in the future. Um, so yeah, very different from what was initially conceived. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. no, I, I, I know what you're referring to when you say that. Um, and it resonates with me a lot. Um, so in terms of where you are now, right? So we, we, you referred to that a couple of times. Where is that right now? What are you, where are you primarily focusing a lot of your attention as a professional in the nutrition space, right? Sure. So Sigma Nutrition as a company, we, we almost have two arms of the company. I tend to just describe it as on, on one side, we do have an online coaching service, but I am no longer really part of that on a day-to-day -day basis in that we have um, uh, four other coaches that have worked with clients for us. Um, and they continue to work with a variety of different clients that we have. Um, we work with a number of athletes, but also just generally people looking to get healthier or to improve their body composition. And uh, so that's kind of one aspect to it, but that's almost able to run itself now. And our, our head coach guard does a lot of the logistics in the background and setting up some of our systems. We have a, just a team of really good coaches now that need very little input from me. Uh, I am there available if they do have questions, but they are really on top of stuff as it is. So my role now is specifically on creating content. And that's what I just, I feel that I am best at doing and probably where my skill set is better suited. And so, yeah, that content obviously comes in the form of the podcast, which goes out every week and the research that goes into each of those episodes. I also get to do quite a lot of seminars and, and lectures and speak at conferences, things like that, which is really cool. And then some writing projects that have taken various forms uh, over the last couple of years. So I see my role and where things are at now and primarily the function of Sigma to be in that um, educational content creation and mainly aimed at nutrition professionals, given that most of our audience would be nutritionists, dietitians, uh, health professionals, uh, nutrition science students, um, and so on. And so you see that kind of reflect in most of the, the content we end up discussing mm. where we not only discuss 
nutrition science topics and looking at research, but actually then how to read nutrition science research and uh, nutrition trial design and all these different aspects that are important for professionals to understand. Um, but my podcast would be probably of almost no value to the average person in the general population because it just wouldn't be make any sense. And it also wouldn't have any like real tangible little tips, uh, typically mm. because that's not our audience. So yeah, to answer your question, I think right now where I see uh, my role and, and what Sigma nutrition does is providing educational content for nutrition professionals and nutrition science students, um, in a way that allows them to improve their, their practice and their understanding of nutrition science. Yeah, that's awesome. So, when am I right in remember in how I remember this? When I when we were hanging out back in early or late twenty eighteen, early twenty nineteen, that's sort of when you were really you you'd made that transition and weren't coaching people in the company as much. Is that correct? Yeah, but by the time we had met there, I was doing no coaching at that time. Uh, yep. So it's been at least a, a few years now. Um, mm. I can't remember when it was my last client. Um, I, I'd made the decision quite a long time before that, that to, to transition away from that. And so that's when I started taking on uh, more coaches, kind of uh, showing them the way that I was doing stuff and how I think we, we our essential philosophy of how we want to coach people mm. and taking those people on with the idea of, there are people that probably have skill sets that would be even better than mine that are like really good with dealing with people um, and in that one-on-one -on -one coaching environment. But if I can pair that up with some of the stuff I've learned about the nutrition research, then that can be really useful from a, a company perspective. And so the decision was made uh, quite a long time before that point. Um, and then to get to the, the point where I had zero clients just was a, a matter of the people I was currently working with when they ha had finished. Because uh, there'd been people yeah. I'd been working with for a couple of years at that point, particularly some of the fighters um, that I'd worked with for a number of fight camps over a few years. Um, so I wanted to stay working with them because number one, mm. it's just enjoyable. Um, and so, yeah, I think one of the guys that had Luca, he, he retired. I, I can't remember what point that was, but he was one of the final, um, long-term clients that I had. And I, I, I decided I'm going to stay working with him as long as he wants. And then when he retired from, from mixed martial arts, uh, then I think that was kind of, um, for, for me, the transition over to completely content creation only. Mm -hmm. So, how? Because people might hear this and think, right? I'm going to start a um a hit podcast tomorrow, and it'll be all good. But just to, I guess, give them a bit of a timeline to help them with their expectations and perspectives. You graduated in 2013. You, how long did it take you with your masters? Like, was that an 18 month masters, or was that 24 months? It was an 18 month masters. Yeah. And you started yeah, so, working with friends and family pretty early on in that program? Um, during that time, um, yeah, probably, I, I can't remember how long into that I was when I started taking on people to kind of build a bit of experience, um, but it was during that time point. And actually during that master's as well, I'd started doing a bit of writing as well. Uh, I think mm. it's another skill to practice. Uh, there was a previous blog that I had uh, that is now defunct. That was called metabolic perfection. And, uh, we need to, that was we something need to find this. <laughs> we need to get it, this. It, it. I think it's deleted hopefully from the internet. <laughs> um, there's a funny story why I changed the name of that, but that was a, just, just basically a blog where I put some ideas down that now, if I looked at them would certainly cringe at that. It was probably just terrible, but it started the ball rolling of actually writing about ideas around nutrition. And, um, yeah, so that was that time point. And then the podcast launched on the 1st of April, 2014. That's awesome. And then you were coaching to support yourself through that. You, they had the nutrition coaching, the nutrition consultancy effectively up until what would you say, Danny, 2017? 
before yeah, you then made uh, the decision to start phasing yourself out and replacing yourself? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the timeline for when I would have taken on the first coach was probably... Hmm, I, I, th- I think it might have even been 2016. Um, mm. But, but I'd, I'd have to check. But I think, yeah, I think it was probably sometime 2016. By that time point, I still had clients myself when I started doing that. It's just we, we had enough demand that I needed. To um, bring in extra people. help. Yeah. And so, yeah, within that kind of first time frame, took on a, a couple of coaches. And then it was, for, it was once I'd done that, then the process became, okay, now over time, as new applications come in, I'll f- make sure the other coaches are full. And then when it gets to the point where they're completely full, we can take on someone else, but rather than me taking on new, and, new applications. And, and eventually phase yourself out. Yeah. Yeah. So that was it. It was, it was just a, a starting point of not taking on new applications. They would go to the other coaches and then gradually over time, as people finish uh, their, their natural time course with a the coach, then uh, that became it. So it was a kind of gradual wind down of that. Mm. Um, and yeah, and then just focusing my, my effort on the other stuff. The content creation. Yeah. So how long did it take upon graduating to getting to the point? Like obviously you started the podcast in April of 2014. How long did it take to get you from the point of graduation to just being full as that nutritional coach and consultant? Oh, I, I can't even remember. I'd probably have to, Go back and, and check some of this. Most of that kind of first year afterwards, oh, just oh mate, we we have the blur most of, of fact checking yeah. going on right now. So if you say something wrong, we will find <laughs> it and call you out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just I like genuinely can't can't remember uh, it, um, when that t- time point was. Um, yeah, uh, I, I I honestly wouldn't be able to even guess how long it was until that was. Um, Full, but it was, it was, it certainly wasn't this uh, rapid process of yeah. you launch a, a website and then you, you have a full client roster. I think I was lucky that before the Sigma Nutrition website even launched and before the podcast launched, previously, because some of the consultancy I was doing and the previous blog that I had, people had been following that. And I had a Facebook page along with that as well, where I put information and people have been following that. Um, and I'd already been doing some seminars in some gyms around Ireland as well. And so mm-hmm. I had already built a, a following before Sigma Nutrition itself launched. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, the Sigma Nutrition became more about the content creation and almost um, I already have clients by that point. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't think I, yeah, I don't think like I ever really talked much even about our, our coaching or certain, uh, never ran ads for it or things like that. Um, just because it was, it was there. And then the idea of Sigma was to focus on it, uh, nutrition information. Um, so yeah, I can't remember the, 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 the lag time from the end of the masters to a full client roster, but, um, Man, yeah, it, it, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even guess. No, that's all good. We, um, yeah. we like, like in the association, we recommend, like we say, approximately twelve to eighteen months is what people should expect. There's always going to be outliers. So some people, mm. you know, it'll be that field of dreams experience where if you build it, the website, the social media page, whatever, they'll come. Um, but for the majority of people, it's just consistent work application, um, you know, like in the long, in the moderate to long term, and then just chipping away at it. And there's, there's sort of little lessons that like there's L's like that I like to say. So losses, lessons and, and learns that you'll take along the way to refine your craft as a practitioner before you get right. to that point where you can really yeah. service a full client load as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was lucky that early on, I was very aware of taking a, a long-term view with it. So yeah. like when I mentioned some of that writing I was doing on, on Facebook posts or on the, the blog at the time, that had been going on for the majority of the time I was doing a master's. So that was like 18 months before I even complete that. Um, and let's say I didn't do it for the first few months. So at more than a year of doing that. Um, and and building up that way and building a bit of a following for that time point before even trying to have like Sigma Nutrition launched. Um, and the same thing with the podcast of 
particularly now, I mean, launching a podcast is going to just take a, a lot of time to, unless someone is coming in with a pre-existing audience, it'll mm. take a considerable amount of time to build up. Um, so yeah, I, I, th- I was, I was kind of lucky to, to be in the idea of when I started, I'm just gonna have to keep putting out content consistently and I'm not going to try and rush to monetize it necessarily. And, um, the main thing is that I just consistent and keep putting out good quality content. And yeah. I probably, probably did that maybe longer than I even should have before there was something to buy on the website. Um, but that, that served me well, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, based on what you're saying anyway, it was always about the mission rather than the ROI. And yep. so you, you, you know, you weren't having to push yourself into fatigue for the pot of gold at the end of a rainbow for you. It was just, you were compelled and, and, and pulled in the direction of content production in the nutrition science space. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's the thing of if you make enough good quality content consistently and build a following of people who really value what you're doing and think you are trustworthy, then at some point down the road, then you can, it's much easier than to make a viable business out of it. Whereas I think mm-hmm. the, maybe the inclination sometimes is if your rush is to make money immediately and then think, well, what content now will get someone to buy something? It's very difficult to do if people don't have familiarity and you don't have a, a body of work to, to look back on. Um, and, and maybe to give some example here, uh, like the weight cutting guide or book that I, I put out for sale was the first uh, product you could go and buy on Sigma Nutrition. And that came out in early 2017. Mm. So that was three years after the website launched was the first time you could go on and pay me money for something unless you're a coaching client. And so I think that is, um, obviously that's not a time frame I'm, I'm like recommending to people, but I'm thinking it's probably better than someone launching and saying, Hey guys, go and buy my book now. And that's the first exposure you've ever had to someone. And so, yeah, there's, there's just knowing that if you consistently put out good, good content, if you make that your focus, then I think the other parts afterwards, you, you can always then turn your attention to and, okay, how do I market this better? Or how do I get people to go and buy something? But if you, um, if you, if you only focus on those things and don't have anything valuable to offer someone, then I don't know how you make that work. It's very difficult. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, I think a lot of people, uh, like sort of get into the space with, out the delay gratification mindset and they have that instant gratification mindset and it's like success leaves clues. And so they may look at a Sigma Nutrition Radio and say, oh, Danny's got his weight cutting book and he's got his podcast. So I'm going to sell this thing on my podcast straight away. And they miss the fact that it was that three years before you even said, if any of this resonates with you and you're interested in making weight, then here's this weight cutting book. Mm. And I think another thing that's really important and you touched on it before, and I just sort of want to really highlight this was, was that you, when you entered the market, uh, and it it sort of relates to a metaphor that I, uh, I, I don't think I've mentioned it on the podcast so far, but I talk to people in person a lot about this and it's, it, 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 it's this concept of a certain amount of possessing a certain amount of skill at a certain point in time then often leads you to your results. And so as you stated before, in 2014, in April of 2014, when you launched the podcast, there weren't really any evidence-based nutrition podcasts. And mm. at that point in time, you possessed a certain amount of skill given your formal education and qualification as a uh, master's in nutritional science graduate, but also in the time that you'd spent with coaching people and honing your craft as a coach, but then also communicating that science in the written form as well prior to that and writing your blogs with metabolic perfection. Um, let's see mm. if we can find something, people, metabolic perfection. <laughs> um, and um, so you'd had, so you possessed a certain level of skill for that point in time in the market where this didn't exist either. And so it's, 
you know, we were talking about this before when we were just chatting before we started recording. And it's like, oh, I just fell into it. But you also had the requisite skill set to succeed at that point in time and really stand out from the rest effectively. And I think that's a yeah, yeah. Yeah, Somewhat. it's interesting. I, I guess philosophically, people tend to not like some of my views on this topic because I often say that it is all luck as opposed to just some of it being luck. And I, I, I do believe that to some degree. I think I could make a pretty good case for it that virtually everything that happens, either good or bad, is basically a case of luck. And a lot of, I try not to take it too... Uh, any successes that have came about, take them too uh, personally or, or take them too much of an indicator of me being great at anything. Because again, even that would be luck, right? If, mm. if for example, people think I'm uh, able to articulate things pretty well, or I was able to go and get a uh, master's degree or whatever they might point to, at some point, they are still just luck that uh, nothing to do with me, just genetically or socially determined that are yeah just luck so uh but that becomes a tricky conversation so i don't know if you want to go down that road <laughs> but there's certainly regardless i think everyone can agree a, a, a large chunk of it is luck and so e even an example you just gave we can acknowledge where there's obviously a bit of luck around the timing of deciding to do a podcast at that time and then the luck being not knowing that three years later, podcasts would just explode like they did in exactly. the end of 2016, sorry, 2017. I didn't, I didn't start a podcast because I was predicting that. I just started podcasts because I liked listening to them. And so there was a bit of luck in that. There was a there's luck about being first in. And um, there's obviously just luck in, I don't know why some people just enjoyed listening to the, the way I was uh, conducting the, the podcast. So... Um, there's that element to it. I think the other part that you talk about having a required skill set is really important though as well, because oftentimes uh, people want to paint a picture that it's just about hard work. And hard work is indeed an important ingredient, particularly if you're going to start a venture or project yourself. I think hard work is almost a a requirement in most cases, um, although not necessarily. Uh, but hard work alone might be completely futile if someone puts hard work into the wrong thing that they just don't have the skills for, if they don't have I know, the certain level of knowledge. And again, this is where luck comes down. Not everyone can do every single task, no matter how hard they work, right? Mm. Like no matter how hard I work, I would not be able to start PayPal, right? That just would, would not be possible for me, right? Uh, that's not a, a matter of not being able to try hard enough or not having the drive or, or, or whatever. So um, I think for most people, it's really useful to be self-aware of, okay, what skills do I have? And then thinking about where that might be unique. And I think one of the interesting lessons that you, um, that, that I see discussed quite a bit and, and David Epstein, I suppose, has become one of the people who's familiar with uh, this idea. He wrote a fantastic book called range of where people that have like these meandering career paths or have a background in something that seemingly is not related to a field that they end up getting into can actually outperform people who have focused on a very narrow thing for their entire life. And there's a value of not only learning different skills, but there's also then if you are trying to be unique in some way, you need to maybe marry up two different things that um, aren't don't always come together. So as an example, um, when I did my, my master's degree, if I was to go into academia and then say, I'm going to do nutrition science research now because that's what I'm interested in and just keep doing that as hard as I could. Now to become really good at that, now I need to work for long enough and hard enough to outperform academics who are doing nutrition science for a long period of time. Um, and so that would be possible, but it would just take a, a different trajectory and it take a different amount of time. Um, but what they're so whilst there's a lot of people maybe doing that, there wasn't people who 
had done a degree in nutritional science, and then were combining that with the skill set that was typically only seen in broadcast radio before, say, before podcasts existed. There were two very disparate fields that never really overlapped in any kind of Venn diagram. And now when you combine them, now you have this kind of intersection where you maybe could have some, some value. And so for me, that was kind of realization of why I liked podcasting, but maybe was better at doing that than being a YouTuber or writing long form blog posts or any of these other types of media doing Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Different people have different skill sets. And that's what I think you're talking to. If, if someone's self-aware, they can know where to focus that. And then the uniqueness comes of how have people not combined two different skills or two different interests in, in a way uh, that I might be able to do so now? If, yeah, if that exactly. kind of rambled makes sense. No, it does. It's the it's the wisdom to know when to de- deploy the skill set at it at, at its most effective, right? And so I don't think that you. I think where the luck part that you refer to comes into it is you never had the intention from the moment that you decided to deploy that skill set to end up with this outcome where you are now. Mm. It was just something yeah. that was purely for the uh, like like for lack of a better term just musing like like just just musing mm. and playing in that space because that that's that that's what called to you and you and piqued your interest yeah and, and that's a, again still filters into the the luck thing of what why was it that thing that piqued my interest and not something else why did i make that decision at that time point to go and do that masters versus not do it again all luck why was it that i had uh, relatively little barriers to do that versus what other people have where that just path isn't open to them because of barriers in society uh why is it that i had a IQ that was a, above a certain threshold that allowed me to go and study some of those things, Joe, mm, uh, versus exactly. having an IQ of 20. So these are, um, yeah, uh, everything is luck, but, uh, like I said, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's a different, that's a, we're getting into yeah, we're getting into the TVA multiverse for anyone who's seen, uh, the recent Loki series on Disney plus. <laughs> This is the uh, TVA multiverse with all the infinite timelines splitting off right now that Danny's throwing at us. But um, uh, I want to I go back to like you as a nutrition coach and nutritionist and then look at, I guess, like your business model a little bit more. You spoke about obviously taking on fighters, right? And some people that have known you for a while and followed your work will be familiar familiar with you as a weight cutting and a weight making nutritionist and nutrition expert. So mm. at what point did you decide in your career that you were going to start working with those particular types of athletes? Um, and then when you were working with them, were you only working exclusively with them or you were still working with general population clients? Yeah. So this is another example of where just things happened without me planning too much. So I, like, like I said, throughout college, I was doing a lot of jujitsu, became super interested in that was a huge MMA fan would go to multiple events, but it was then I had moved to um, Dublin and was um, one of my friends and I was working in the, uh, alongside them, essentially teaching, I was teaching nutrition courses in a place that qualified personal trainers. So they would do personal trainer certifications, um, in a place in Dublin. And one of the strengthening and conditioning coaches there, Jason, that I knew, um, had been doing S and C work with uh, a few fighters, uh, locally. And one of them, he wanted to put in touch with me to help do their nutrition and managed their weight cuts for upcoming fights. It happened to be a guy who was at the time was one of the top, if not the top guy in his weight class in, in Muay Thai in Ireland. Uh, he was, he was only 21 at the time, I think. Um, but like really well known in that scene. And so started working with him, it seemed to go well early on. And so through word of mouth, a number of other fighters that knew him started contacting me and I started working with more and more of them. And 
that was it. It was, it was just literally that kind of word of mouth from there and started working with more of them. Mm. And as I did that, that kind of forced me to consider more about some of the practices that are typically done, um, see how little evidence we actually have for that, and then try and piece together, okay, what would be an, a, a suitable approach to some of this stuff? Um, and then started like writing down some of those thoughts and putting those out a bit more online. And that allowed me then when I started publishing some of that, um, I think I did like a, a four part series on, on the website about nutrition for combat sports, all the way from just general eating to supplements, then to the weight cutting at the end. And I think, yeah, I got more international fighters than outside of Ireland contacting me, started working with uh, a few of them. Uh, a few of those guys were competing in Bellator, uh, cage warriors, some of the big European promotions. And yeah, that, that was it. It was, it was, it just came from that. It wasn't, it hadn't been targeted beforehand. It wasn't a big business plan written down of I'm going to go after these guys. It was just, so it was a perfect storm of them being put in contact with me, me already being familiar with combat sports because I had competed in, in jujitsu and had been so immersed in being an, an MMA fan more, more mm. generally. And then yeah, w word of mouth and then people finding my writing online. And uh, that's actually what led to me writing the book then in early 2017, I think that came out was a, a way of being able to put across what I was doing so that more people could go and access that as opposed to people who maybe either couldn't work with me or couldn't, um, uh, couldn't contact me for, for coaching. And then I suppose most people that ended up buying the book were actually probably nutritionists or dietitians themselves that had fighters coming to them because there was so little information on that topic at the time. And even now there probably is as well. So, mm. um, yeah, throughout that time, I still had other clients that were not combat sport athletes. Um, but yeah, they started to make up a, a decent chunk of people I was working with to the point of where I felt, okay, I can write something about this because I've not only thought about it and looked for what research we have to this point, but I've worked with these guys and can see what typical mistakes a lot of them were making. Um, a lot of that is related to stuff we've talked about before of massively under eating. Uh, so mm. you see like low energy availability, super common, uh, massively under eating carbohydrates throughout the year, um, and then making some common mistakes with weight cutting practices as well. And mm. so, yeah, decided, okay, I can write something here that would stop people doing at least some of the more stupid things. Um, yeah. And that, that, that was it. Yeah. Just on that topic as well. Um, it would be, um, it would be remiss of me to not bring up the events of, um, the McGregor Poirier fight recently and the leg break. Did you see, um, from the McGregor camp that, that like the medical reports that have come out, I think it's sort of like, and they've been confirmed from some of the top brasses in the UFC that for the better part of the last 18 months, Connor had suffered, um, repeated stress fractures through his ankle and through his tibia. Yeah, I've seen some of the reports and I think they're putting it down to, or the latest one I saw was it, it's down to like a chronic arthritis of the, the ankle. That's mm. what they're pointing to. Um, and I saw the, the photos that they emerged of like the heavily taped ankle during the training camp and him icing it and x-rays yeah. and so on. So, um, I, he, I mean, it, the, the way, the way the, the, um, tibia broke at the end, it clearly had been something had happened before yeah, that yeah. point for yeah. just a step back on it. So the first thought is, okay, it had to have happened in one of those earlier exchanges. Now we're seeing, well, maybe it happened even previous to that. And then maybe one of those checks made it even worse. Um, mm. and then there's, there's, it's interesting how people have different hypotheses, right. Of, of which of those kicks it actually was, was it the, the one that hit the elbow? Was it the actual teep that he did? That, that was the problem. Yeah. Um, maybe it was a combination of things. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's fast. Like as much as people say, uh, about him and it's funny that we're the, still the big story. In MMA it's polarizing. Right now, it's polarizing. <laughs> and I think, I think the one question yeah. from an evidence-based nutrition background that hasn't been asked that I would love to get some more specifics on would be what's his bone mineral density like right now? Mm. Yeah. I mean, that, that'd be, 
I mean, because we could only retrospectively try and join dots and still not be able to know what's going on. But like, mm. I mean, you could, let's say if we saw that was, um, that was lower than you'd expect in someone of that, that age and that activity level, when has that started from? Is that because of a chronic low energy state? Um, how much of that is, is what was Im- impacting bone health? Like mm. we, we'd never be able to really know, I guess, but it would be fascinating to see um, if we had access to medical data on that. Cause I know that, um, I know that, I know that Dolce recently, um, uh, came out and was talking, I don't, I don't know if Connor's still working with George, but I know that Dolce recently was, did not hold back in his thoughts around that approach. And, um, I think there was, um, Joanna or Joanna, um, who'd experienced, like she oh, was yeah. confirmed, um, with low energy viability with red S and the, um, UFC performance Institute took that over, um, as a yes. result of that. So I, I don't know what podcast it was on. I know Geordie was with him. <laughs> and I remember looking at Geordie's face when this is happening and I was like, Oh wow. Um, so I don't know what the podcast is, but if you see it, Geordie and Mike Dolce are on the podcast and Dolce does not yeah. hold back on it. So According to Mike Dolce, it's common practice that, um, yeah, George's clients, Connor being one of them at some point, I don't know if he still is, um, Mm. uh, George's clients were experiencing chronic low EA symptoms. So yeah, Yeah. from, from things I've, I've heard along the grapevine, some of the, if some of those practices, if what people have told me are true, uh, are certainly not ones that I think are good. (laughs) Yeah. They're not what I would say. yeah, I would certainly not endorse uh, George Lockhart from from what I've heard. Um, and yeah, I, as far as I know, there's a nutritionist here in Ireland that Conor McGregor works with. I don't know him and I don't know if he is part of Lockhart's thing or has done a Lockhart certification or is completely separate. I actually don't know about him, so I can't comment. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, these are one of these things that on an individual level, it, it'll be impossible to know of like how oh, no, someone's exactly. past experiences of weight cutting methods or chronic dieting played a role in something like a leg break, which could just be a complete freak accident. So yeah, definitely. Um, but like, it's, but it's interesting to hypothesize over for sure. Definitely. Stuff we know. Yeah. Definitely. I, I mean, personally, that that's just the, um, the like a, I'm not going to say scientists, but like lack of a term scientists in me would love to know. Hey, did we get DEXA scans from when Connor was 24 onwards annually? Do an annual was DEXA a part of it? Given that we know BMD can be influenced, were they doing like RMR testing or RQ testing? What did that look like over the time? And do we have sort of some nutritional information and feedback to match? And because, like you yeah, said, it'd be unless we ha- unless we had those scans, unless we had confirmed BMD, we even if he had low bone mineral density, we couldn't say that it was from relative energy deficiency in sport unless we had proof that he had a normal range of bone mineral density prior to periods right, of yeah, competing, see right? those changes over a time yeah. course and, and what caused it. Yeah. I mean, if there's anyone that would have the resources to have consistent high level testing done, it would be him. So, um, yeah. it, it, it would be, I, I would be fascinated to look at his, uh, medical data, but of course, that's only down to him to share. So yeah, exactly. If, right. if he well, wants to email me his stuff, send it to Danny. <laughs> send Do yourself it to a favor. Yeah. Send it to him. Yeah. But but seriously, I'll, like what when you hear about repeated stress fractures in athletes that are typically in, in chronic bouts of hypocaloric environments, I immediately start thinking, oh, potentially low EA. Let's look mm. further. So that 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 was sort of that was yeah. that was my rationale. Sounds good in theory. And there's nothing yeah, else sounds to talk about. Theory, but yeah. In, in yeah. this straw man scenario. We, we can, where, where I yeah, we, we can only have rumors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rumors being thrown here. So so to reiterate though, it started as something where you were in the environment, you were passionate about fighting combat sports, and it was a real word of mouth thing that just picked up momentum naturally and organically yes. as a yeah. result of immersing yourself in it. Yeah, and and that like I said, that the one of those first fighters that I started working with, uh, Keen, was being high level at the time, um, was fight, fighting professionally, but at a really good level in, in Muay Thai and really well known in that community. Um, and then from that, 
other people within Muay Thai in Ireland and then people within MMA started contacting me. Um, and then as, as I started writing about some of the stuff I was doing with those people online, then that's where people internationally were contacting me and just kind of got lucky that at, at that time, especially when, if someone's going to come and, um, look for coaching. A lot of it would be people that are either fighting at a really high amateur level looking to go pro or who mm. are already pro and making a living that are taking it seriously. Um, and I got lucky just with people who I worked with some, like I said, pro athletes that were working in some of those really not good organizations, a few pro boxers that were got to fight in uh, title fights uh, nationally in Ireland and so on. So yeah, uh, it was just started though probably mainly as again a, a bit of luck to be in the right place at the right time definitely and i think i think um you know this is this might sound a bit esoteric to the listeners but those are really good indicators as to a potential path to take right like where and this is something that we both experienced in our professional career where it just started as a word of mouth thing that we fell further into mm. Um, and yeah. I, and I, I think that's something to pay, pay, pay attention to that. If that's happening, if there's areas in your life where consequentially these things are just working out, then it might be worth looking a little bit further into it. It may not be what you've intended when you had this plan. Mm. Hey, I finished my nutrition. Um, I finished all my, the theoretical aspects of my study. I finished my nutrition study. This is what I planned on column A, but column B is just coming so much easier for you. Right. Yeah. Like if people are responding really positive to a certain subset of things you're talking about, and maybe not other people are, then that might be an area to focus on. And and this is something that I've not typically done. I think it's interesting that uh, if people kind of look at the content that that I produce, it's quite broad across all of nutrition and science. And I suppose that's the, in some way, the ironic, unique thing that it is across broadly across many different topics without being the number one expert on any one thing. Mm. Whereas I think a, uh, a really good business strategy that would be at the opposite end of that is exactly what Jordi has done, right? Of like, I yeah. work specifically with MMA athletes that allow you to be the best athlete you can. And that's, that's the only people I work with. And that's all I talk about, but I am the best at it. And then suddenly now you have people saying, okay, who do I go to if I want a dietitian that works with fighters. It's like, oh, well, Jordy, he's, he's the guy everyone is pointed to, right? That mm. you, you probably, you probably couldn't hire him now if you wanted to. So there's a, a real value in that. Um, but again, it has to be, are people responding to your messaging in that area? And is it something that you're interested in, right? It can't just be something where, oh, there, I could make money in that, but I actually hate that area. It's like, no, you have yeah. to have dived into out of your own interest, Joe, your, your own curiosity led you into a certain area. So, um, yeah, I think that's certainly something to consider for professionals when they're aiming to come out and realizing you can make it, um, in a sp specific area that might not even, um, exist right now, or it might yeah. be a combination of things, or it, it might be, um, yeah, th there's always a way to, for, for people to see your messaging or the way you put across ideas as unique, unique to some yeah. degree, right? At the same time, nothing is unique, right? Nothing is only said by one person, but it's mm. how it's communicated by one person might be the unique thing, right? Exactly. I think, um, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there, like looking at that subset where the success is, and then also asking yourself the question, is this something that I'm genuinely interested in to the point where I could do this for the next two, three, four years? And if the answer is yes, then it's like, just explore that. And I think if I sort of chunk things up to a high enough level so that people can observe this objectively, it's like you were making that decision with the fighters and you were making that decision with the podcast to just explore and wherever it takes you would be wherever it takes you after approximately 18 to 24 months um, experience with both the, like the high level master study, as well as practically like with clients in a coaching setting, in a professional setting, just playing with different aspects of client coaching relationships, content creation and study in that space as well. Mm, right. 
Yeah. And I think the thing you said is right of seeing what happens when you just start trying to do something and probably having a certain period of time where you're like, okay, I'll see how this goes. I give it my best effort, but then be able to adapt from it. Right. It's like, there's no point in me saying, oh, I set out to do a podcast and I was going to do that no matter what, or I was going to work with fighters (laughs) no matter what. Uh, Actually, that would have been terrible to do. Like I could have started doing it and realized initially I might've done maybe, let's say I did a few YouTube videos and let's say they exploded for whatever reason, or one of them went viral and built up a big, massive subscriber base on YouTube. And the podcast wasn't doing anything. Well, in that case, I, I probably, who knows, like why would I've continued to podcast and stop doing YouTube altogether? It would probably be the other way around. You'd be because the judge of what people are responding yeah. to. Yeah, that would be great. And, uh, the, the same with fighters, right? If, if nothing ever came of that, but, um, let's say at the time a elite level crossfitter started working with me and I found them a really interesting case study and it went really well. And then they recommended to be other people. And then suddenly I have an influx of a bunch of crossfitters looking for CrossFit specific nutrition. Uh, then of course, then you can adapt to that if that's something you find interesting, but you can only know that after you start doing it. Right. Mm. Um, so yeah, just being open to adapt to, to what comes up, you can have a loose plan, but then you just got to see, does that actually respond in the real world? Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really good take home. It's something that we've looked at and covered loosely in all the episodes today, but we've really been able to hone in on it in this episode. And so for anyone listening, I really want them to sort of take that away and take that on board, especially for when, I guess, when you're formulating plans for your career or you're setting your expectations for it, I would strongly recommend that 18 to 24 month period where you say yes to everything, but then at the same time, you're paying attention to what's responding and where your interests are as it relates to what is responding Mm. as well. Um, But definitely give yourself that time to just Mm. experience before you start refining. Um, And then I guess to finish the formal side of things, because it sounds like you just have it all planned, man. It's just been this master plan and here you are and you're this content pr- producer. That's, 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 that's what you do. You're a nutritional science communicator in the podcast, uh, in, a, in a podcast forum. Ooh, what's the plan from here? Have you got it all figured out? You're this guy who's got it all figured out, right? This is what we were talking uh, I don't about. Know where you get that idea from. I certainly <laughs> have. I have. I've never had anything figured out and I still don't have anything figured out. And, and so... The the only way I think I know how to function is to work on the next couple of immediate projects, and they t- typically might be at the longest. What's going to happen in the next year? Let's say, and, yep. but it could be shorter than that. It's just like what is the next big thing that I have to work on, and then keep the podcast going and keep trying to make it better. So that's the thing that's constant. And then the other projects that will run alongside that, whether that's the writing of a book or the releasing of a video course, whatever it ends up being is the other focus at that time point. And that's as far as I can think, because it's, it's very difficult to, for at least for what I feel I'm doing to plan too far ahead. Mm. If we're saying it's based on what people are responding to and what I like doing, because I won't know either of those two things five years from now. I don't know what no. the me five years from now will be most interested in. I might hate nutrition, right? <laughs> or I might mm. love a specific area more, or I might say, do you know what? I would love to go back and do a PhD for academia to this. I don't know. So yeah. I, I try not to think too far ahead because I find it difficult. And uh, then at the same time, it's just kind of seeing, okay, I'll put out this next project. People respond well to it. And then on to the next one. Yeah. It's just, it really is. That's the process, right? It's not like I'll get to a point where I write one book and then it sells a million copies and I can retire. I, yeah. I don't think that's, that's certainly not my plan. And I, I don't think that's likely to happen. So the, the plan is not, okay, what is the thing I need to do to be done with this game? This is just a game, the same way as life is a game. So yeah. the game that I'm playing is... What can I work on now that's interesting and exciting? Put that out. Hopefully people like it. And then when that's done, just the cycle starts over again. Move on to the next and, one. Um, and that's as, that's as much of a plan as I have. Yeah, I think, I think that's really good, man. The reason I set you up like that was because when we were talking about this beforehand, 
I, I knew what, what you were going to say. <laughs> but um, to the to the listeners and to the people that look at you from the outside in, they would look at you at this point and be like, "This guy's so accomplished." Um, you know, he he you know he know he had these great plans um, and these grand plans for Sigma Nutrition Radio, and you know he know where he's going and what he's going to do. And I think it's important to be able to give people insight to the fact that like, it's okay. And like, regardless of where you are, there may not be this meticulous master plan for some people. They might, they might plan every aspect of their lives to a T and they adhere only to the plan and that works for them. But for other people Mm. and for a lot of people who experience high levels of success that, uh, that others would perceive as high levels of success, they don't necessarily have a plan. They just allow for things to materialize and then work on the projects in front of them and then base their decisions on how those things go. Yeah. It's, it's really troubling and kind of saddening. I think how some people can uh, get upset and anxious over what they see from viewing other people of like, Oh, this person has it so good, or I would love to be in that position. And, uh, I'm running out of time to make that happen. Or by the time I'm this age, I need to have this level of my career. Like it's all just an illusion. You don't need to be at any particular point at any particular age or however many years you're doing something. And there's no right path necessarily to follow. There's, there's, there's certainly right ways to go about things and wrong ways but there's hundreds of each. There's not just one right way, right? There's hundreds of different routes that, that you can do and it's, and, and that you can still enjoy. Um, so certainly don't be, uh, anxious around that. And then also you, you, um, yeah, trying to perceive how someone else has it, like how well they're functioning and how they've everything in order that is one of the biggest illusions I think ever. Like I, I don't know anyone that I've talked to has sat down honestly and said, look, everything in, in life is just perfectly in order now. Like there's, there's mm. nothing that like, I, I've just nailed this thing of life. Uh, most times people will say that's not the case. And certainly I can say <clears throat> for me, it's uh it's, it's far from the case, uh, whether that's business or otherwise. Um, so, so yeah, I think people should, should give themselves uh, a break and, and not create anxiety by thinking they need to do things at a certain point or in a certain way. Yeah, I agree. And like, let me ask you this. Do you still get the odd bit of imposter syndrome from time to time? I mean, uh, I, yeah, I think it, it's hard to know what becomes imposter syndrome and what becomes just worrying about, is this good enough? I think I'll never get rid of that feeling of, is this good enough? Uh, could this have been better? Like, did I do my best with this? Um, but I think I'm better at realizing that, um, when we look at other people's work, we appraise it much more favorably than we appraise our own. So Mm. we see, oh, this is fantastic. What this person put out and we don't notice all the potential tiny little mistakes or things that could be 1% better. But we do notice that with our own things, right? We'll read back over something. Like, oh, I could have phrased that one sentence a lot better. It's like, no one will even notice. Right. Mm. Um, and so just knowing the fact that we uh, appraise our own work much more harshly might be enough room to say, okay, if, if I'm saying this, it might just not be rational. People, people will find it useful enough. Um, but, but certainly that feeling of, is this good enough is one that I, I typically come back to. Like I, I, I genuinely think sometimes when you know, people praise something I've done is, is, is too much of like, like I, I know people who are legitimately intelligent and produce legitimately elite level work. And that's not me. So <laughs> I can tell you who those are if you want, but, uh, that that's not me and yeah i'm fine with that yeah do you remember what your slide was at um it was at the end of 2019 oh no well mid 2019 oh, uh, uebc uebc i think the f- on the summary the first bullet point was i don't know anything yeah yeah it? and then i tagged yeah. you in my story yeah. and i was like yeah. the most humble guy in nutrition at the moment 
So yeah, that hasn't changed. That's a bit. not being humble. No, it's not being humble. That is just a factual statement. Hmm. But you do know something as it relates to nutrition. Uh, no, I have a, a high degree of uh, confidence in certain things. High degree of reasonable yeah. certainty. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know them for a fact. Yeah, okay. this could be a simulation for all I know. <laughs> Here we go. The, o- the, on- the only thing I know for a fact is that I am having an experience, and right we call that life. There we go. Whether that's real or not, I don't know. That's it. Well, mate, that was awesome. Thank you so much. There's a ton of insight in here. I hope everyone takes away the nuggets and the gems that have been, um, and they have a newfound appreciation for every step in the process of becoming a student practitioner, a practitioner, a content communicator, and, you know, and and then like feeling comfortable with the decision-making process from those points as well. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I've enjoyed this chat and hopefully people found something useful. Thanks, man.